Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Well, happy June, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Today, we have one of our male allies, Tony Stewart, on the show. Tony's an author and a financial preparedness advocate. He loves helping others make sense of the financial world in a way that's easy to understand. He's the financial guy with a knack for writing, and I've read a lot of his stuff, so I definitely agree with that. His goal is to guide you through the insurance and financial worlds using language and laughs that anyone can understand. And in 2004, he authored questions and answers on life insurance and opened up this new path for financial literacy. Tony has been awarded with the Apex Award for Publication. He's been awarded the Excellence in Financial Literacy Award from the Institute of Financial Literacy and named on Forbes' top nine great investment books list. He regularly consults with insurance techs, financial planners, insurance agencies, attorneys, insurance companies, and other financial service companies on insurance marketing and product best practices on strategies to help consumers get ready for the financial preparedness and the get ready financial standards. We're going to talk a little bit about that today too. Tony is a past member of the California Department of Insurance Curriculum Board and current member of the National Financial Educators Council Curriculum Advisory Board. They need more words than that. Welcome to the AFOR, Tony. How are you? I'm doing great, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad to be here today. Absolutely. So you are someone who knows about insurance and marketing and writing and talking about it. I love it. You are my people. This is good. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to meet you and be part of the females and finance community. Oh, I appreciate that. So I always like to tell everybody how we meet folks. And we actually met because of Sam X Reddick's uh, Big Dream Project. So Sam's one of my man crushes out there when it comes to financial literacy. He's out there talking about children and the importance. And I have to tell you, he's been on a previous episode of The F Word. And he talked about children and, and how young in childhood they can actually get the idea of what money is and how to manage some of it at their level. And so financial literacy is a passion of mine as well as yours and the synergy just brought us together. I love that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Financial literacy, it's just, it's so important and it's something that we need more of as we all know. We do. And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, to that point, we often times think of financial literacy in adults. And I think it just needs to go way, way back. I mean, sometimes people talk about, well, we need more financial literacy, you know, conversations and classes in college. True. I think we need financial literacy conversations and classes in high school, in junior high, in middle school. It can't just be the econ 101 that we got to get through in ninth grade just to get the diploma at the end of it. You know what I mean? I mean... Oh, 100%. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to my son's school, and it's a 6 through 12 school, and it was one of those sort of career days where you talk about what you do, and it, it was amazing, you know, the, the they call them learners rather than students there, is that they were very interested in all the various money topics. You know, the seniors and juniors were concerned about, you know, student loans and 
paying rent and all those things, you know, that they're going to be facing very quickly and having the budget and they don't have the tools to do so. So it's, it's really interesting. It is. And with you living in the Bay area, you know, I, you and I, I've lived in the Bay area for 18 years. So I tell people I'm qualified to say you better be prepared to pay rent in the Bay area. It's not like any other animal play space in our country. San Francisco is a little bit, uh, they're, you know, relentless in the rent area. Oh, yeah. And then, it, you know, it reflects in everything because you have the ripple effect of it affects uh, insurance premiums, it affect, uh, impacts the cost of going out to eat, it impacts the cost of clothing, it, you know, ripples through everything as uh, commerce passes on their costs to the consumer. Absolutely. And so I definitely want to talk about the financial literacy part of the work that you're doing, but talk about your actual journey in financial services, how you got to where you are today. Tell us that history. Well, like many people, um, I came out of college uh, expecting to go into a certain career. Um, I'd studied a very narrow niche and was going to be a bond trader. Unfortunately, when I graduated, uh, one of the big banks, Wells Fargo, bought Crocker Bank. I don't know if people remember the name Crocker Bank. And all of a sudden, there were all these experienced bond traders out on the street. And I had no hope uh, coming in, which is actually probably very similar to a lot of new college graduates is coming into a world where there's not the job market that they expect. So a friend of mine was uh, working for Transamerica Life. And he's like, hey, why don't you sell insurance for a few months? And so a few months turned into 35 plus years. Uh, yeah, I started off as an insurance salesperson um, working for a multi-line insurance brokerage. And then um, I ran across somebody uh, who had the initials LA after their name. And of course, I was curious what those initials were. And they were uh, for life and disability insurance analyst and which is fee-based insurance consulting <clears throat> excuse me which is a separate license by the department of insurance and allows you to charge a fee for doing insurance consulting and i love the concept because that put me on the same side of the table as my clients and consumers and it opened up a whole new world of being able to work with advisors where they brought me in to be able to look at things uh, you know, from an objective standpoint, because I didn't stand to gain only if I sold an insurance product. I could be a truly objective advisor and guide them on the process. And that's also when financial planning was starting, fee-based financial planning was starting to take off the transition from load mutual funds to um, no load mutual funds. So that's where I ended up. And then in 2001, I wrote the first edition of Questions and the Answers on Life Insurance, and I intended it to be just a resource for advisors that I worked with and something to pass out when I was um, speaking, you know, more one of those side projects. And something strange happened is it actually started to sell. I listed it on Amazon as a lark because there's no cost to list on Amazon, and people started buying it. And you know, I was really surprised. And, uh, you know, over the years, I just decided to write a couple more books. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I just decided that I really liked 
viewing the education uh, component more. And the issue that I found was that over the course of my career, I did litigation consulting. I worked uh, as an advisor for financial planning firms. You know, I, I saw different clients across the, spec the socioeconomic spectrum, and I found that none of those people really understood insurance products and that while I could charge for consulting, I was really only helping a handful of people to understand. And we have a huge country with I don't know, hundreds of millions of life insurance policies out there. And so that, you know, I thought maybe I could start spreading my message to help more people. And that's, that's where I got where I am today. Wow. And you do that. I mean, that you do such a great job of that. I, well, I follow your podcast, for example, and then I see some of the people that synergistically that you're speaking to that I know, et cetera. And I think that I believe a lot in that synergy pool. I mean, some people can call that whatever, but I, I believe in it. I think that when you're on the road to doing something and you keep seeing the same cars on the road with you, it feels really good. Like, okay, I, I know. And when the moment when I feel like I'm doing something and I lost all of those people, I know that, oh, I'm off the track. I got to get back over. <laughs> I got to get back over yeah. into my lane again. So I think that that's, um, I, I, I love where that's led you today because you do a really great job. And talking about the financial literacy, I want you to dive into your financial first aid kit because your website, although always ever changing and growing, is certainly packed with a bunch of resources that anyone can use in financial services. And when I say anyone, I do mean consumers and other financial service professionals. Talk about the first aid kit. Well, the first aid uh, kit concept uh, came about is, I have a background as a wilderness first aid instructor. And one of the things that we're taught is that, you know, in the wilderness, if you don't pack it with you, you don't have access to it. So there is saying the best first aid kit is the one that you have with you and that you also have to know how to use each component of your first aid kit is that you might have this burn kit, but if you don't know how to use it in an emergency situation, it's not going to do you any good. And that's, you know, was part of my discovery through the process is that there's different components of the financial services community that people don't really know how to use. Um, they don't know how to really, you know, manage their mutual fund portfolio. They don't really know what to do with their life insurance policy. And they make uh, decisions, not because they're poor decisions, but because there's a lack of education. Um, let's say policy loans on a whole life policy is, let's get really specific, is the thinking, of course, is that, you know, you're borrowing money for yourself, so what danger can there be? Well, there's a danger that, you know, you could have compounding interest on it, declining interest rates, and all of a sudden you end up with a phantom income tax gain. Well, that's kind of a complex topic in a real short nutshell, but the point is, is that I found that even across the uh, advisor spectrum that there were all these things where, you know, you have product specialists, but there's a lack of how do these things integrate and how do you find the best resources to gain a basic understanding? And that's the idea of the financial first aid kit is that you have all these disparate 
parts of your financial life. You got your mortgage over here. You got your investments over there. You got your insurance policies over here. And there's duplication and there's gaps. And that's the concept is to help people make sure that they have exactly what they need and that they know how to access each of those components. I love that. What do you see as some of maybe the, the trends with financial advisors today when it comes to financial literacy? Meaning, you know, are they coming up short with education? Is there something better they should be doing? Because I feel like, yeah, we have, um, you know, April might be financial literacy month. It's every day is financial literacy month, every day. So I was just curious what you see for trending there. Well, I see a few different trends. This one is the financial planning industry is still actually relatively new. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe 10, 20 years old. Um, CFPs are a really new designation. Um, so I see that the industry itself is trying to, it, it's still in a growth stage of where they want to go and what they want to be. Um, but as part of that is that it's only serving a certain segment of uh, the population, for example, fee-based advisors for the most part can only afford to work with higher net worth clients mm-hmm. because they're paid under uh, assets under management, um, or they have to charge a certain hourly fee that most people can't afford to pay. So that where I think the industry is going is that there's a recognition that there's huge gaps um, in the knowledge spectrum, and there's huge gaps in who's being served. Uh, and the industry is trying to figure out how to m- meet those and still, you know, be profitable. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that one of the things that I still see going on, especially in the FinTwit community, is there's still a lot of animosity between financial planners and insurance advisors. And I think we have to move past that. It's one of the things I try to come in and create sort of a, a bridge, if you will, because I am very insurance savvy. That's my background. 30 years in insurance, I'm, I'm not going to drop it. And even to the point where I'm pretty um, bullish because I will say to any planner, you can do all the planning you want and everybody dies. I mean, everybody, we just die. We expire. It's what we do. And I haven't seen very many situations, and especially given our environment today with the, the quarantine and the furloughing and things that are going on, that in the moment when that expiration does happen, that there isn't a financial need by the remaining family, friends, business, whatever it might be, to sort of pick up the pieces and keep moving on. And until then, I'm going to continue to say that risk management is a number one financial planning priority in any plan that's going on. The rest of it, to me, is a um, very necessary piece of our bigger plan, but we still need to talk about insurance. And it's one of the things I like about you is because you're balancing a lot of that today. You're balancing a lot of the conversation around the fee base or the fee only. And I appreciate that about you, Tony. I don't know if you know that, but I really do because we need more people out there actively talking with planners. And funny enough, if I talk to a planner, they'll say to me, oh, I do. But they're always worried about people who are beholden to a commission which I understand, and at the same time, I see people who vary their, their fees by the amount or the, you know, and I think, well, that's kind of uh, the same thing, but all righty, <laughs> you know, so we yeah. argue a little bit about that, but I think that we need more Tonys and maybe Cheryl's out there to help do some more bridging initiatives between um, what we're, what's going on in that space. Do you, have you found that to be true too? Because I mean, I do have a lot of respect for anybody who's gone through a CFP. I do. 
Uh, but at the same time, I also have a lot of respect for insurance people who have to manage a lot of different products and, you know, things that are going on out there and managing that, your life as an asset as well. Uh, 100%. Um, I think risk management is at the core of a solid financial plan. If you don't have a good risk management plan, you're insuring your income, you're insuring your life, you're insuring your home, the rest of your financial plan is going to fail. Um, and to get to the point of commissions, um, well, I was a little wrong on a prediction. Back in the, I think, 1995, I wrote uh, an article in Best Review about how the insurance industry was moving towards fee-based commission products, and it would be, and within the next 10 years, there'd be no more commissions. So I was a little bit wrong on that prediction, uh, you know, but I think the concept is there is that the insurance industry and the professional insurance advisors do take that very seriously, and they understand that there is an inherent conflict of interest when you're uh, yeah. paid commission only. However, as you and I both know, there's a lot of financial planning firms that like to have the best of both worlds. And they'll have a division over here that has fee-based products and a division over there that sells commission-based products. And they have the proverbial Chinese wall between the two. Um, but essentially, you know, they're, they're still having a little bit of um, both worlds. So I think it's you know, it's a transition that at some point it, it, it will be reconciled. However, mm -hmm. it's not going to be as quick as I thought it would be. No, but I do think we've come a long way, baby. I think it's out there. I do think that we also are, we're learning from each other too. So I see insurance advisors kind of looking over into the planner's world and going, hmm, you know, that, that holistically, and we're even bringing programs through females in finance so that we can bring some of those that, that planning 101, if you will, or maybe a little bit above that, to be honest, too, bringing some of those resources back and in, into the advisors. But at the same time, I think that the planners are looking over at the insurance advisors and saying, I do see the value in, in managing the risk of someone's life, you know, and whether that be the actual, what I think of life insurance is death insurance and long-term care is the life insurance. So we can continue living our lives the way that we have always done that or paycheck protection through disability policies and whatnot. I think that the more that we can bridge those, those gaps between the two of them, the, I think that will, the peacemakers of who we are in trying to facilitate those conversations, I think are increasingly more important. When you talk about this financial literacy part today, how do we make it available to every person in every community today. I, I know that, for example, one of our male allies in the group, Stoy Hall, he's in Des Moines. He's very financial literacy focused, very focused in that space. And then you have Sam Rennick, of course, who's focused in this children's space and how do we improve those conversations. But do you have ideas around what we could all be doing better? I always say bigger, better, more bionic when it comes to financial literacy in general. Well, I, I think it starts with um, working with your clients. Uh, one of the things that I've seen over the years is that advisors, you know, oftentimes don't really have a feel for if their clients really understand what they're buying is. Most people don't, uh, you know, clients step up and say, you know what, I don't really understand it because nobody wants to be the person who's not following along. It's just like, you know, when you're in school, you know, is, you know, nobody raises their hand when the teacher says, who doesn't understand this? Um, or something like that is, you know, that nobody wants to raise a question with their advisor and say, you know what, 
I don't really understand what you did here or what you did there. And, you know, when I say advisor, I mean insurance agent, attorney, uh, accountant, financial planner, all across the spectrum. There's people who, you know, most clients walk away and they maybe understand 50%, uh, if that, of what their advisor explained to them. So I think that's the thing is that advisors and financial services companies need to keep breaking down what they're doing. Um, the way that I best explain it when I was happy with a client relationship was when that client felt comfortable enough that they could explain the concept to somebody else in a way that that second person would actually understand. If I could explain it that well, um, then I knew it was taking effect because they could in turn explain it to somebody else. So I think that's where we have to start is that we have to start small. And then also, you know, like Sam Rennick does, is that we have to start with our children. Uh, we have to start in our community. Uh, you know, I know uh, CFPs often do financial planning days in their mm -hmm. community. So it's it's just being active and, you know, within our circle of influence is starting there and making sure that those people truly understand what we're saying. I love that so much. I'm actually writing down an idea just based off of something you said. So if you hear some pin marks in the background, I'm literally scribbling something down because you just hit on a really good point. I believe that there are, I love that CFP does that, that they offer these financial planning days where people can come and be in their community and be seen for the financial service prowess or talent, you know, that they have. I also think that breaking it down and getting into communities of individuals that uh, are not necessarily seeing enough people who look like them, throwing out some, some names of people who I think do a fabulous job of this today are like Daisha Kennedy. I live in St. Louis and she runs a community called Broke Black Girl and she is working with women of color and specifically in financial literacy and training and coaching. And I love that. You've got Kaina Newell with Wealth Over Now, who was an educator before she left. And now she's today, uh, she's working with uh, women uh, who most of her base, and she has a few men, but most of her clientele are women and talking to them about everything. And she's doing it all through video on her Facebook. And it's very personal, very raw. Um, but I think it's great because she talks about things that nobody, like what is discretionary income, right? People throw that term around. And sometimes I've wondered, like I've asked my own children, do you even know what that a term like that means? And they're like, oh my God, it doesn't affect me. You know, they don't even think estate planning's for them. I have a son who's 31. I said the word estate planning and a term. And he was like, I'm not rich. I'm like, it has nothing to do with rich. It has to do with you have assets that you're going to leave after you pass away. And so it's even in our own home as a financial service professional, I, I put my hand to my head and go, oh, my goodness, I still am falling short. Um, you know, you've got right in your in your neck of the woods too, Linda Lingo. She's up in North California and she's working with women in transition. They've husbands have passed away. We all know that that happens a lot or people get divorced. And what do you do now? What are you doing with that money? And she's having really real, and she's doing it more in um, study groups where she's inviting people over and they're getting to do that. So I think changing it up, and I think that's what you're doing, Tony, is you're, you're going out, not just writing or you're speaking, but you're actually, you know, meeting with groups of people and training and talking about that. Um, I think that those individuals such as yourself who are out there and having this 
educational conversation in your community um, are so valuable. And then one of the things I do uh, respect about you is actually being on, you know, these curriculum boards and, and being part of the financial conversations and fabric that are in your community. I think being more involved that way. What, what led you to being a part of the, the boards? What drew you to that toward, toward that part? Um, you know, I'm trying to remember exactly how I ended up on the California Department of Insurance Curriculum Board. And right now I'm drawing a little bit of a blank. I served on there um, almost 10 years and that was a great experience. Um, it was quite a bit of work. Uh, the Curriculum Board in California oversees all licensing and education requirements. Uh, in the state of California. And since it's one of the larger state insurance departments, often the materials we developed would be adopted by the smaller insurance departments across the country. So uh, a lot of the work we did uh, was very helpful for other states. And part of that included very detailed um, exam objectives to make sure that when people were taking their licensing examinations, they were learning things that would be relevant to best serving consumers. We had a couple of consumer advocates, 100% uh, consumer advocates on the board. Um, we also worked quite a bit on the continuing education objectives because, you know, it's one thing to say that you have continuing education requirements. It's another thing to have continuing education requirements where the people actually learn something new uh, that benefit both themselves and the clients they serve. Uh, and then one of the other things that was really interesting as a member of the board, I got to know quite a bit of the attorneys. And so I got involved with uh, some legislation uh, and matters, insurance code sections is, you know, we were also um, responsible for suggestions on changes to the insurance code. Um, so it, it was a great way to have an impact on the industry. You know, it was, it was small and, uh, you know, it was, it, it's a start. And that's, you know, kind of gets back to the prior question is, you know, small things do make big changes further down the road. You just may not know the impact of what you're doing. Amen. I start with two people in females and finance and it just two people invited, two people invited, two people. And I'm telling you the math works out. It's one of the good things we're, we're great at in financial services is the numbers, you know, and, and I, and I love that. I, I will also say too, I wish we had more material, more conversation, more data, more, just more when it comes to anybody who doesn't speak English as well in our country. It is, um, we're coming up short. We're coming up short. Oh, a hundred percent. It's not even, you know, and it goes far beyond uh, the people who don't have English as a first language in this country. There's whole communities that the financial services community just does not serve or serves in a very peripheral fashion. Um, where those people don't know anything about finances. They don't know where to get the information. They're, you know, subjects of financial predators um, with a payday loan firms and all these different things that you see out there is they target people who just don't have the information or the education. Yeah. And I, and I love, it's one of the reasons why in the community that we have you know, people like, 
Kathy Sikorsky with her elder law that she's working and what she's doing and protecting people because you're right, they are very financially vulnerable. Uh, they don't either understand how the rules work and she's there to help decipher that. But I feel like it's, if you think about any person who's outside of what most systems are built for, which is quite frankly, are, are white men. I mean, that's, it's just the truth. And so when you get outside of what that core focus is and start layering it, uh, the more that you layer and move the, you know, that individual away from the core of something that was built, the more we lose them. And so I think that every individual such as yourself, such as others I've mentioned, the more bridging that you're doing through these financial literacy and impact and involvement, you know, community involvement are, they do make a difference. One person at a time, sometimes it still makes a difference and we have to keep going. So I applaud you for doing that. Um, I also like to, as we wrap up, I like to talk about actionable education. I'm a big believer in let's go do something. You know, let's, let's make things happen. What's something that you'd like to impart on the financial advisors and financial service professionals who are listening today that they could grow themselves through what we talked about, meaning what kind of advice would you give them to take immediately and they, when they click off of this podcast and they could go do this one thing, what would you tell them? Well, I would say, um, you know, visit my website. Uh, you know, I have uh, the Get Ready Toolkit on there, and which is a whole bunch of free resources and worksheets um, that are designed to help people organize uh, different parts of their financial lives. Uh, I've also got, uh, you know, it includes a subscription to my newsletter where I try to break down uh, financial topics and put out concepts, uh, not only for consumers, but for advisors who are trying to learn about different areas because, you know, let's say you're a CFP, you're expected to know 20 different areas and be an expert. And it's really hard to keep up on those different areas. So I try to provide uh, resources that help people learn new things so they can expand their scope of practice and also challenge them to look at things from a different perspective is that's the other thing, and we, we talk about bridging out to different communities, is that we have to change the perspective at which we look at things, because not everybody out there in these different communities, for example, we talk about the underserved communities, they don't view things the same way um, as some of us in the industry do. It's, it's all about a matter of perspective. Yeah. And uh, that's it, learn something, learn something different, listen to a different voice. I love it, love it, love it. Now, you know, anybody listening, I like to wrap up stuff in a fun way. Now, you know I'm going to ask you three questions, Tony, and get to know you better. Are you ready? I have to answer them, too. Okay. You ready? Fair. All right. I'm ready. So, what is the best way to stay motivated and complete goals? What, what do you do? Well, I, I think that you have to find goals that you want to complete, that... Uh, you know, if it's something that inspires you and provides you passion, that that you'll complete that goal. And if it's something that doesn't, you're not probably going to complete that goal. You know what? That's so true. And I also find that I have to have accountability people. I just got to have it. It's, it's you know, whether when I, the most weight I ever lost, I had a trainer. The best shape of my life and my body, I had a trainer. Uh, I used to have a life coach. In fact, that's how I met Judy Hoberman. She and I had the same life oh, coach. Okay. 
Doreen, She's wonderful. Yeah, Doreen Rainey. She was our life coach. And I met her and I was starting to follow her. And I was like, you're going to be my friend. I sounded very stalkerish. And she's more than my friend. Family. <laughs> so, um, all right. So how about this one? What's the worst or best job you've ever had? Okay. Um, well, the best job is, I think, the one that I'm doing right now is um, writing and education and communicating is I love teaching. Um, so I'd say that. And also, you know, I was a volunteer whitewater raft guide, and that was really awesome and fun. Uh, didn't get paid, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. So don't, yeah, I don't camp. I can't be camper. It's an oxymoron. That's not happening for me. Daryl keeps trying to drag me out. And I'm like, last year, two years ago, he took me down to, to Merrimack Caverns and there was like no cell service. We had this, well, first he thought we were going to go down there and do a tent. And I said, you see those cabins? You're going to go rent one, buddy. I am not sleeping. Like what separates us? Like I kept, he kept saying, don't you want to be out here in nature? And I said, no, nature does not want to commune with us. They want to commune on us. They want to eat our skin and drive me nuts. I want to go in. That's why we build homes. <laughs> he laughed. So he said white water after. I was like, ooh, that's not for me. How about, I'm, I can tell you that, I think, I agree. You're, you have found your best job. I'm doing my best job. My worst job, I'm going to tell you, here it is. One day. I only worked one day at Taco Bell when I was <laughs> 17 years old. I am five foot two. And I'll never forget the guy telling me I had to go into like this freezer thing that had this enormous thing of ground beef that I promise you was as big as my body. And I looked at that and I walked over and I took the hat. And I put a note and said, no, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I worked at Taco Bell when I was in high school, but I was a growing college boy. I mean, high school kid. So I loved it because at that point it was all you can eat. <laughs> so, so for a high school kid. My dad was furious. I came home and he goes, what do you mean you left? And I said, oh no, that's, that job's not for me. He's like, you have to give two weeks notice. I'm like, what do you think I am? 27? I'm, I'm in 11th grade. Not happening. No, I'm not going back. And actually the best thing that happened because of that, I, I started working at the library on the weekends. I really loved that, to be honest. I mean, I'd already been in the library. Everybody knew me at the library anyway. So I started doing um, some work at the library and I really enjoyed it. How about this? What's the best thing that's happened to you this month? Because, you know, we're in quarantine. So what's the best thing that's happened to you this month? Well, I, I think the best thing that's happened to me is that um, I've been able to get to know you better, uh, Sam Rennick better, and I'm really getting clarity on my mission. Uh, you know, it's interesting as you and I talked about my big ask, mm -hmm. and I completely bungled it on uh, our San Francisco regional panel. I, I can't Yeah, the meetup call. The yep. Meetup call. And now I think I could actually answer that question. And so I think that's the best thing is gaining clarity on how to move my message forward. That totally warms my heart. That might just have made the best thing that's happened to me this month then. Because I am always about the big ask. I tell you know this. I go to every meeting. I'm like, hey, what's your big ask? And put your big ask out there and people laugh and they think it's funny because it sounds weird, but it's, it's actually, it, it makes people have to articulate what they want. You know, what do you want? Tell me what you want. 
you know, and you, I could even go Spice Girl, what you really, really want afterwards. But, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it really does actually change you. I would say that one of the best things that's happened to me this month is watching my husband who he left his medical practice last year to get into financial services. He took an entire wow. leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been happy to not be working with patients during COVID. I'm not going to, to lie, but he left his practice in October of 2019 and to watch his financial service practice flourish because he's listening to the marketing of the thing. So he, I tell him, I'm like, you're doing well because you've got amazing marketer at home. But in all honesty, that is all Daryl Hickerson's doing. So it's been the best thing that's to watch somebody grow into a whole brand new, because financial services, one of the things I love about it is a timeless position. You don't have to be an X amount of years old and then you're out. He can continue to do this. And he was a physical therapist before. He's 46. He needs a knee replacement. It's part of the reasons why he got into physical therapy. And he is not in a position where he wants to stand on his knees and manipulate people's muscles and bones and things. He wants to um, take care of himself and be focused, but he needed a career that gave him some flexibility. So I, I tell everybody now, whenever I look at the retention attrition rate, I'm like, I'm responsible for retaining, you're adding one new person, ding, check, there I am. So I figure if each one of us did that, it would really help. So it's great. I want to let you know that we'll be sure to provide a link to all the ways to reach you and connect with you, Tony. You are such a financial asset to not just females in finance, but honestly, all the financial services. And I hope people will continue to reach out and seek you uh, for your talent, your expertise of what you do today. And you've just got such a big heart in this space. Really appreciate it. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for having me on today. And, um, you know, I just love what you're doing with um, females and finances. It, it's a much needed platform uh, for people to meet who wouldn't, may not meet and to also help, um, you know, people connect. Um, you know, I think, I agree with you. I think women have been underserved in the financial services community. Um, probably in general, in society in general. Um, I don't think anybody would argue with that. So, yeah, you know, I love it. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, so I've always been used to a very diverse group of people to work with. And I tend to forget that it's a little bit of a bubble here in the Bay Area. Yeah, it really is. And when I, I you know, as I mentioned, I lived there 18 years. So almost, uh, what, half of my life I spent in a space that was from a diversity, equity, inclusion tends to be very aware, very cognizant, very inclusive. And my, you know, I have children that uh, have five kids and two of them are half Middle Eastern, and, you know, and are, you know, speaking Farsi and things. And, and my one daughter, Farah, in particular, what I loved about the Bay Area was we were, you know, she grew up always being able to speak very clearly in English and in Farsi. The other one has lost a lot of it now that she's gotten older. But uh, when we moved to Missouri, the number one thing that Farah said to me was we were sitting at a restaurant and she kept cocking her head left and right and looking around. I said, what's, what are you doing? And she goes, everybody here is speaking English. It's so loud. Can you hear all that noise? You don't think about it, but the next time you, when you do go back to restaurants and you do go back into think, think about how your brain is uh, wired a little differently because it's already from a from a you know tune standpoint has tuned out a lot of the other languages because you don't hear you hear the sounds but you don't 
hear the words. And for her, it became a very loud in her head sound because she could hear every single word somebody was saying. So I thought that was really interesting. So I think the Bay Area is a bit uh, a bubble of UL. And so I appreciate that you said that. Um, but keep doing what you're doing. You're great. Appreciate you so much and everything you share. Thank you, Cheryl. And the, the feeling is definitely mutual. I appreciate it. And, thank, and for the listeners, we want to thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word. You can learn about today's guest, the topics that we've covered by visiting the links that we provide in the episode page. And if you love today's podcast, because I know that you did, you're going to subscribe and not keep it a secret. You're going to put hashtag females and finance on your post so that we can engage with you as well. And we always want you to remember The F Word. It's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>